0: Top of the news this evening is speculation concerning the real facts behind the Department of Health announcement about a radioactive spill supposed to have occurred yesterday at the state nuclear plant. You will die only to live again in a younger body. Then you can tell me if the operation was a success. I could easily kill you now, but I'm determined to have your brain.
1: You're listening to the Really Awful Movies podcast, a celebration of genre cinema. Hi, my name is Chris, and along with Jeff, we talk about movies that aren't really awful at all. Horror, action, kung fu, musicals, post-apocalyptic, women in prison films, and much, much more.
0: At the beginning, she gave me things. Perfect balance, perfect sleep. She wants to get inside of me. I can feel her. She can see me. When you dance
1: the dance of another, you make yourself in the image of its creator.
0: I feel like I'm not even here yet. <laughs> the dump black's incredible. One, two. When she transmits her work, you have to decide what is it you want to be for this company. There's more in that building than what you can see, Doctor. You are living with dangerous people.
1: From our downtown Toronto headquarters, here's episode 249, Luca Guadagnino's
0: 2018, Suspiria. So this is the remake of Suspiria. <sighs> it's a cover version. And frankly, to me, that is a much more apt description because Suspiria, and I'm talking about the original Suspiria with uh, Jessica Harper, Dario Argento, Suspiria, Barbara Magnolfi. Mm. This is a film that for a long time was the holy grail for me. When I first started getting into horror and, you know, I kept reading about these movies that were very difficult to find and... The one that I want to find, there were, I guess the two were The Beyond by Fulci and Suspiria by Argento. In other words, what were considered to be I guess, the best of each respective master. I finally tracked down The Beyond, my mind was blown. But when the time came, because when it came to Suspiria, all I heard was a couple of things. Number one, one of the scariest openings in cinematic history. Number two, one of the scariest soundtracks in cinematic mm. history. Enough to make you loosen your bowels all by itself. Yeah. <laughs> Number three, one of the most impressive visual palettes in... And I'm, also, I'm not even saying horror movie history. I'm just saying movie history. And I had seen some Argento films prior, but I kept looking for this holy grail spirit. I could not find it anywhere. They actually played it on tv cut to shreds cut to ribbons i watched it and i was like wow this is beautiful but the opening uh the indelible opening scene with the murder was totally cut to shreds i knew at that point i had not seen suspiria i still have to keep tracking it down finally got my hands on a import vhs I actually imported it myself i went into the store and asked them to import it for me <laughs> and when i saw it my mind was blasted to the point that a few episodes ago, we talked about, you know, oh, could we make a top five favorite horror film list, et cetera. Well, I certainly can. And Suspiria is number two for me. Ooh. Mm-hmm.
1: And I would venture to say The Beyond
0: is somewhere between 10 and 20. The Beyond is in the top 10. Uh, would you care to guess what my number one is? I think you know it. Uh, Evil Dead? No. Uh, it's a movie that's so near and dear to my heart that I've... Uh, uh, talked about it. Uh, Frankenstein. O- the Bride of Frankenstein. Bride of Frankenstein, okay. But yeah, Suspiria is Suspiria and I consider Argento to be my absolute favorite horror director. Of course, I'm talking about Argento's output in his prime if, we, you know, if, if we're if we looking at the diminishing returns of Argento, i.e. Dracula 3D, which was his last film, which was absolutely abysmal. Let's just discount those. Argento's prime was untouchable. So you have my favorite horror film made by my favorite horror director and now... As they do with so many other films, they decide to remake it. And, you know, I've put up with remakes for this or remakes for (laughs) that. Some are more successful than others. But when it came to Suspiria, I was extremely, not even skeptical, angry. How dare they? How dare they even um, have the hubris to try and take something so wonderful and remake it? Then they started announcing the casting and I started getting a little bit more um, intrigued. Not Dakota Johnson, because the only other movie I would seen her in was that, uh, I'm trying to impress the memory, when you and I went to the cinema together to yeah, watch Fifty of Shades really of Grey. Yeah, or of really awful movies date night. <laughs> exactly. And we went right back. and So I had not seen anything other than her god-awful turn in that uh, Fifty Shades of Grey series. But Tilda Swinton. When I heard Tilda Swinton, I'm like, okay. This is going to be something interesting because Tilda Swinton is an actress that I mean she's one of the most exciting actresses working today, and. When I found out something about this movie afterwards, it actually blew my mind. I don't know if you know what I'm going to say. Yeah, it's it the just, same it, thing
1: with with, with me. And we'll figure out to what extent and uh, uh-huh. see if we can explore to what extent that worked. Yep. Whether it was sort of a, a stunt.
0: I also heard that... Do you, so, so do you know what I'm talking about? I did, but it, I
1: didn't notice it at first, which is a testament to her. You know? Exactly. And she crossed my radar in Only Lovers Left Alive, which mm. I thought was really charming and,
0: and really cool. was charming. And she's... If you want to call a vampire film charming, it is charming. Yeah. And, and Jim Jarmouche is uh, is fantastic. And the way he used the Desolate backdrop of Detroit. Uh,
1: I mean, <laughs> God, and really playing off her it's sort of a. Uh, yeah, and I'm one to talk. I, I, it's unfortunate the expression is the pot calling the kettle black. Like, it's more like the sheet calling the wall white, like, yeah. I am as pale as they come, mm-hmm. and they really make use of, of her really amazing face, like, yeah, her well, features are incredible, she, like, you can't take your eyes off her.
0: In, like, in, in many ways, she, I mean, a lot of people say, like, if anyone was to play David Bowie, she should do it, A, because she's chameleonic, like David Bowie, B, she slightly resembles him, she is androgynous in appearance. Yeah. she it, could pull off the gender bending and does. And it's yeah, and I'm wondering if we should even talk about that because I don't know if I want to. I guess we have to say that we're going to be see. You and I saw this this past weekend. We didn't see it together, so we have not discussed it at all. So, seeing the movie, walking out, I'm still processing in a lot of ways. I have a lot of questions. I have a lot of uh, inquiries, let's say. And I and I think what this podcast is going to be is not so much a review of Suspiria, but almost like a dismantling it or deconstructing yeah. it, because yeah, a lot. there's a lot of this film that is extremely noteworthy to talk about. And I kind of know where I sit right now in terms of star rating, but I really, really want to hear your opinion. You may be swaying me a bit. But- oh, I was
1: I was hoping for the same from you, so we'll see. Uh, what, I don't, is, is it even fair to say what wins out? I'm not even sure. Like, we do our best on this podcast to try and, I guess... Uh, take something that uh, some would argue it's subjective and objectify it by putting together a bunch of, it's almost like a Socratic method of point counterpoint mm-hmm. for what we feel is right. I, I haven't made up my mind, and even more so than Halloween, which I think I did make up my mind, and then I just needed you to give me that slight nudge, and then I really knew. I, I suspected deep down my deep-seated problems with that film. Well, I, so, re-
0: I remember... Uh back in late summer you were saying oh there's three films coming in November or whatever or in, in the fall I have to see one was Halloween 2018 one was Bohemian Rhapsody yeah. and the other one was Suspiria you've <laughs> I seen all three I've seen I all seen three, three in, the, in the
1: theater and they all came with uh, so many different sets of expectations and this one for some reason I don't know why my expectations were so so much Tempered compared with Halloween, which I just maybe it was the Tiff factor and the, just the hy- hype and blow up and hyperbole surrounding that. But mm-hmm. I, I didn't have any expectations, and I think this did its did me a service
0: going mm-hmm. into this. Okay, well, I mean, there is a difference. This is a remake um, slash cover version. I really prefer to uh, call it that because it really, if I was to compare this movie to Suspiria, it. <laughs> There's no it's no contest I don't know like if you want to give me some sort of sports analogy right now of like you know the biggest mismatch in history in boxing or whatever absolutely no contest right but so I'm going to talk about this as its, its own entity yes I will be making a, a few comparisons here and there to the original Suspiria but with the exception of a couple surface similarities i.e. a ballet school a student from the states whose name is Susie Banyan the fact that it takes place in Germany And that's another thing i want to talk to you about uh, about the whole like you know maybe heavy-handed use of political allegory yeah for sure Uh, um but yeah i mean and of course you've got the three mothers and this is this this ballet school is a what do you want to call coven. it? coven. Yeah. coven for witchcraft.
1: But so, yeah. So it's interesting when you compare this iteration with the previous, because the previous was so simple. I mean, with all this monkey business about mothers, this and that, and the lacrimonium and the sacramonium.
0: Mater Lacrimonium, yeah. and Mater Tenebraeum, I believe.
1: Yeah, and that is still, at, at its heart, is just a witch story. It's a possession story. It's almost like a ghost story. It has no... Uh, I guess, uh, weaving, arcing narrative. It's just a girl who's bewitched and comes into this situation and she tries to solve it Nancy Drew style in a way. She's a young nafe. She goes in. Mm-hmm. What the hell is going on? I don't know. That's it. And that's not to uh, disparage, uh, disparage it. it. Yeah, it's simple and uh, it creates its own world in a way that... Uh, The new one
0: doesn't. So it's a timelessness. It it has. You mm -hmm. don't know where
1: you are. It's it's, with your with the with the original.
0: Exactly. There's a timelessness to it. There's no real sense of place, and that I mean is a compliment because it is. You you revisited it just the other day, right? I was
1: going to, but I didn't want it to color, uh, pardon the pun, my expectations of this one because. Uh, there were certain scenes that I don't want to bring up in the discussion, mm-hmm. but it, well, it's a I'm completely different trying, animal.
0: What I'm trying to say is that the fact that it took place in Germany was irrelevant. It, it was just you—you want to transplant a foreign student into this environment and make it even more of a weird, otherworldly sort of environment because she's American and everyone else is speaking a different language, yeah. so on. It just gives the customs. But when I say no sense of place, I mean you get the feeling that this horror that's taking place in, in the original Suspiria, it almost feels like a microcosm for the world. Do you know what I mean? Like that ballet school and its surrounding vicinity where you sometimes see, you know, for example, Ludo cares character going. you don't see much outside the school. yeah. <laughs> and so the, the terror is cloistered within those walls and it builds and it builds and the music swells and the colors are beautiful. Maybe they're garish, maybe they're blinding, it doesn't matter. It's an experience and when the thing is over you are just floored and you mentioned the simplicity of the original Suspiria yeah it's Argento himself has said this is a fairy tale it's a fairy tale and fairy tales by their very nature are simple but dark i'm talking about the original versions of fairy tales not the homogenized disney versions right Hmm. the grim so yeah yeah and you gotta remember too that when Argento made the original Suspiria he was considered to be a giallo director Suspiria, and so he wasn't exactly sort of a supernatural director. Suspiria was almost like the Anning Hall for Argento in the sense that it sort of bridged the past of his career, which was Giallo, with what was to come, which was he did return to Giallo a few times, but also introducing some more supernatural elements. And so, with the original Spirit, yeah, you get a bit of the hallmarks of the Giallo, you got the black glove, you got the, the glinting knife, whatever, mm-hmm. but at its heart, it is a fairy tale it's a dark fairy tale but fairy tales are dark and it works and boy does it ever work but with this suspiria the director had certain ambitions shall we say artistic ambitions and as i'm watching it i'm appreciating it in many ways i'm almost thinking like this is like dead ringers you know Mm -hmm. i'm appreciating it and there's a it's almost like a tourniquet, this film. It, it really like it's and builds and builds into like this orgy of violence. Almost another thing it sort of me of was Mother with Jennifer Lawrence a few years ago. Oh yes. Yeah. And and then you, you feel this the cumulative effect on it is like you watch and you're like, whoa, I just saw something very, very important. This film is trying to make a statement, maybe too many statements. <laughs> yeah. And you and then you think to yourself I don't quite get it. And I'm still trying to piece together. I've, I've Googled many different articles with many different interpretations. Oh, mm, my
1: God. Um, well, it's funny you use the word important because it would say, oh, is this important with a capital I? Because uh, to quote Family Guy, like there's certain parts where it insists upon itself. Because it, it goes the route where in te- instead of making its own magical, self-contained um what's realm? the word yeah realm and uh, it, it tethers itself to a time and place I think mm-hmm. probably to its detriment but again I would be a hypocrite because I want people to be ambitious. I love Luca Guinho's ambition to create this backstory and create all mm-hmm. multivariate uh, interesting narratives instead of just Susie figuring out what's going on. there's lots Susie's almost the third most important character here So I, I thought it was a, wonderfully ambitious if maybe too ambitious so and I felt that this Berlin business was a little bit odd. Like, even as someone who both a can speak a bit of German mm-hmm. and b lived in Germany, I was mystified. And
0: someone, I mean, I was just in Berlin not even oh, yeah. six months ago.
1: Yeah. And they're playing to the, the filmic trope of Berlin being this this dour is this is divided of, Berlin, yeah. and the wall was still up. It's this gray. The school is in East Germany. Gray, homogenous, uh, Eastern block Brutalist, bloc. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm using one of your words now. You're, yeah, <laughs> you're teaching me more about architecture, which I kind of like. Yeah, it's like a Bauhaus kind of thing, and yeah, and they're playing that up, but then they're bringing in this uh, Red Army faction, like, guerrilla terrorist group thing, which was there's lost al- on me. There's
0: al- and there's allusions made to, of course, the Second World War, and everything, you know, all of the, I guess you want to say atrocities in German history, and I'm trying to connect the dots with what's actually happening within the, the ballet school, and Frankly, I was having difficulty doing so, almost. And again, like when I, as I think about it now, and I think myself sitting there, you, it's wonderful to have allegory in a a movie, but if you, it does insist upon itself, like you said Mm -hmm. before, that it kind of takes you out of the experience because you're like, okay, like what are they trying to say? Then it might, then it sort of is to the film's detriment. All that allegorical stuff with East West Germany and the Red Brigade and the terrorism and. Uh, Patricia, of course, you know, a character from the first movie. In this one, played by Chloe Grace Moretz, who happens to be the queen of horror movie remakes. Having oh, no, she was in that awful Carrie Carrie. Yeah, was... She was also, but, but she's in a couple of good ones. She was in um, Let Them In, right? Uh, which was Let the Right One In. And she's kind of decent in this one. in a, in a sort of, you, you sort of made a face. You didn't, oh, no, I was just Nero thinking, was uh, it's,
1: it's going to be interesting as we uh, touch upon maybe Halloween as well, because David Gordon Green was tasked to direct this. Thank God he didn't. Uh, but Chloe Grace Moretz, uh, her depiction of mental illness was uh, affected me similarly to the Halloween Michael Myers. Where really? He's, he's chained. I thought it was this, a bit more affecting. Well, she's got like wet bangs, and she's curled up in a fetal position. Yeah, it, was, and it, was very, it was very
0: girl-interrupted. Yeah, and, and I thought,
1: yeah. well, what if she had just been stone-faced sitting in front of this psychiatrist recounting her tale of... Of atrocities that took place in the school she attended, and then the 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 but doctor would whole, have been, oh, oh m- geez, I don't know what to make. She seems on the face of it rational, but mm-hmm. then she's irrational, and then we should, meanwhile she's practically cowering and crying and curled up in, in its little ball. It was a little bit and
0: then there's ridiculous. This, this whole mishigas about her now, like you know. Purposely being a terrorist or being part of a terrorist thing, and that sort did of. Did you say Michelle Gus? I did say <laughs> Mishu Gus. Yes, I did. Yeah. Um, it's sort of a facocked nonsense. there. No, but yeah. the, re- the reason why I thought her performance was good was because you you would think that an actress of her caliber, because you know she's, I mean, she's not an A list actress, but she's an, a, a name, would would be in the movie more, right? But because we really only see her at the beginning, and yeah, the character that she plays in this movie, it's. It's a runaway from the school, just like in the original Suspiria, but it's very, very different. Her arc is very different, and even though we hardly see her again until the very end, I feel like the presence, her presence... The well, I don't mind her being be- in it, for No, sure. but I'm saying a- her presence loomed over the entire movie, hmm. even if she wasn't in it. So I thought she was good. Of course, Tilda Swin was phenomenal. What about Dakota Johnson?
1: Who uh, This is another one that, like, she's terrific. Uh, I'm not sure if... I, it's just, again, you're comparing it to the original, which I purposely did not revisit, but uh, it plays upon your empathy when you have a naif. Is that even how you say it? I've only read it. Yeah. Umlauts, N A I F. I, I was, I was. You have like so, yeah. a young girl, the Jennifer Harper in the first one, who's all of probably 16. You really feel her
0: uh, doe. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. her deer in the headlights. For uh, sure. And uh, well, with this Harper's, one, she's getting. She's, Jennifer she's, Harper's a treasure. I mean, Phantom of the Paradise and. Uh, oh, it's another
1: phenomenal one. But yeah. it just. Dakota Johnson, she's fantastic. Don't get me wrong. But there seems to be. Like, she seems to have a. a slightly more of a street savvy that I, I found took me away from it somehow. Like, she wasn't going in blindly into this thing. Like. And then she's a- automatically in a turn of events from the first one instead of getting dizzy in in her audition and in front of everyone she just nails this performance art dance Mm -hmm. routine and just she's she's like the the kobe bryant of of interpretive dance i was gonna
0: say i mean just to 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 use a phrase that was so in vogue a few years ago she's almost like a mary sue of ballet Mm -hmm. Mm she just she's this preternatural talented what have you but it's so i want to say so much but i don't want to spoil that's the problem She plays Susie Banyan, of course, which is who Jessica Arbor played in the original. Her arc, what ends up happening to her, is very different. So how she portrays a character has to be very different because of what ends up happening to the character of Susie Banyan. She can't be so... I I
1: guess that was telegraphed somewhat, mm -hmm. uh, somehow, or maybe not. Maybe I'm just reading too much into it. I'm not sure to what extent, but I don't know. It's just
0: that the dynamic in the school was so different somehow well let's just talk about the I guess 800 pound gorilla which everyone's talking about and that is the color palette if there's one thing that the original Suspiria is known for is its use of primary gel colors unbelievable a feast for the senses in every single way visually the thing is a marvel whereas this film and this was purposely done is Completely devoid of color. And, and what I, I don't mean that in the sense like it's black and white. It's just everything seems washed out. Everything seems so Zepied, muted. kind of. Yeah. Not even just muted, dull,
1: drab. Um, it's almost like the witch in a way, but again, it's probably the same production. You're talking about Robert
0: Eggers, the witch? But one thing is that, and I, this is not original, but this is interesting, is that when you think of the original Suspira, the one color that comes out that you think of more than anything else. I would say red. Okay. <laughs> and this film, it's so muted. It's so, and and then you get to the climax, and red is everywhere. So it's this was a conscious decision by the director to separate itself from the original Suspiria by virtue of the fact that you know he's not using that same color palette, which is kind of good because he's acknowledging the fact that hey, that's what Argento did. He he did it masterfully. No need for me to improve upon it. Mm. But then at the end, this thing explodes into an orgy of red. And, one more can i say the music another th- i mean the music in the original suspiria is a character unto itself in this one the score was composed by tom york of radiohead you mm. just shrugged yeah. i shrugged too yeah. radiohead is one of the most if not the most overrated bands of my <laughs> lifetime agreed
1: that's one of the most humorless uh, just self-consciously just uh pretentious characters in all of music i mean he's unbearable I find
0: Tom York unbearable. What's so, hilarious about Radiohead, just to go tangential, I mean, they put out three really good records, and they developed quite a sizable fan base, and when they, after that third record, Kid A, their next one was Shite. And which e- one was that
1: again? I forget. Like oh, Idiotech
0: the- or something, uh, okay, and then yeah. everything else was just, um, a re- it was like taking the shite and putting it in the microwave <laughs> and reheating it. It's the same ambient stupidity, yeah. right? But their fans have been apologizing for them ever since because of those first three records. They still have a huge fan base. Oh, Radiohead, Radiohead is amazing. Radiohead is this. No, Radiohead sucks. And the <laughs> music that Tom York put into this film, it never announced itself because it was bad. Yeah. You know? It was just, you're more of a music guy than I am. How would you describe it? It was more familiarly, lugubrious, dirgent. That's it. It didn't have that. You got it, man. Yeah.
1: That is like that. Is it gonna be like uh, I might
0: play that at my wedding? No, what the hell? It's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. So, but I mean, again, these are two things that the original Suspiria were are so known for that for the director to say, okay, we're not gonna compete in the music department either. So, what are we gonna? What are we going to offer? What are we offering viewers in 2018 with this Suspiria that has had not been done before? There's a lot of um, see. This film is saying a lot, right? Is trying to talk about something to do with a, like you know the political allegory of what was happening during the time, combined with a lot of analysis of the female condition. This is a feminist movie. There's nothing wrong with that. People, um, at least that's how I read it. So in the other school, there were male dancers. The dancers yeah, there absolutely. were male characters, etc. This film, there's really only one male character who is of any importance, and then you find out. I'm gonna this is a small spoiler. Yeah. That that character, an elderly German gentleman, was played by Tilda Swinton. Mm-hmm. And this was a ruse that was pulled off completely successfully because I did not see going to this film, I tried to go in as close as possible. So yeah, I knew nothing. And then I'm watching the film, I'm like, okay, Tilda Swinton is playing Oh, uh Madame Blanc. Madame Blanc. Madame Blanc. And I don't know who this actor is, this fine um, elderly actor playing this uh, this psychologist or psychiatrist, but I've never seen him before. Perhaps he's a German actor, but mm-hmm. he's good. Then when I found out that was Tilda Swinton, I was blown away. She also played a third role as well.
1: Yeah, I found that pretty funny for like a, the ultimate... In uh, Pla- *Pass with Flying Colors*, Bechtel Test* movie, that the best character, the one that was the most interesting and the most compelling, was a man, and the fact that it was written and directed by men too. So it's weird, like it's it's feminist to a certain mm-hmm. extent, but Dr. Kemperer was really the, I mean, he was the focal point of the whole thing. So that that's an interesting shift that I thought was really effective. Well, to take it away from Susie. I still and think Susie him be was the, one.
0: the focal point. He was sort of a, uh, a fringe. He was a French character, but he was a character on the fringe of this, almost like a Dr. Loomis, like trying Mm -hmm. to figure out what's going on and everything.
1: Maybe it's because, yeah, I just uh, love Dr. Loomis. But
0: that is sort of subversive in the fact that the only significant male character is actually played by a woman. Mm -hmm. When you think about it.
1: I suppose. Um,
0: Somebody else, I mean, I read that, oh, this film is a comment on ballet because in order to be a successful ballet artist, a female has to uh, contort her body in so many ways it's not meant to. Ergo, so all uh, the ultimate suffering for your art through this, whatever dance yeah. macabre kind of and, thing. But a lot of that if, it was done in Black Swan. Yeah, if that is what you're trying to talk mm. about. But so there's. Well, the, we
1: can talk about that too because the original Argento movie had no dance whatsoever, and I'm, I'm not sure well, there's what I mean rehearsals, but yeah, an yeah, actual dance, but there was, yeah. there wasn't, and I'm not sure to what extent this was a. Effective because it was well. I, I'm not sure. Like, as that's talk, our
0: first introduction to the red when we're looking at the outfits of the dancers. Yeah, like this
1: weird, like bondage, like Japanese bondage get up, and they're just. I, I'm not sure if that sort of style of dance was prevalent in the 70s. Apparently, I guess it was. Well,
0: I mean, these are Maybe, people on the vanguard guess, of you know. Although uh, that that dance they put on was called Volk, which means folk, folk of course. Yeah that's we'll say allegorical too and it was written by Madame Blanc apparently back in 1947 to reflect the time so I don't know to
1: reflect what it was modern
0: dance um, something like you know a thing like Martha Graham would do or something but I I did find that scene to be extremely hypnotic I found the choreography to be wonderful Mm -hmm. it was photographed incredibly it looked phenomenal and then the plot just propels to its pretty mind-numbing conclusion Mm -hmm. and when I say mind-numbing I mean in the sense that you're being the audience is being barraged with so much so much information, so much visual stimuli that you're watching it and, you're, and the cumulative effect is this is something very, very significant and then the credits, the movie ends the credits roll and you're kind of sitting there going and again, I'm repeating what I said in Dead Ringers you're like, wow, that was mm-hmm. something pretty fucking deep and cool and then you try to you yourself well, see, because I, I saw it by myself mm-hmm. so I said to myself, self What does it mean? And I had a few little hypotheses here and there, but the dots never connected. And so I was hoping that we could connect the dots together, but I feel if we're going to do that, we're probably going to spoil the film more than we should. So this is probably one of the most obtuse discussions we've ever had about a a film.
1: Well, I didn't connect the – oh, uh. I am brain fart here the the first character's demise in in the first for sure. for sure. I, yeah. know, I I didn't connect the whole red army faction thing like I, I was this was a part of history that was lost on me mm-hmm. and I thought maybe if they had done something with the Munich terror attack it would have been something more people could relate to maybe it's it's it would be imbued with much more significance if we were european but I found I found a sort of a distance from that I didn't connect anything to do with this character, I won't say, their later affiliation with this terror group. I, it was lost on me. I didn't understand, okay, maybe she was, she went nutso because of uh, being embroiled in this uh, clandestine coven thing. I, I didn't. They were trying to draw lines that I didn't see were direct lines. And that was a little bit weak, but mm-hmm. the the other bit with Doctor Klemper's love interest was very touching and, that and was very, touching. like, very, if, if not somewhat predictable, because they did give different, uh, different hmm, historical, I guess, touchstones. Like he was a Jungian, he was a he, he he wasn't like you. You could see that coming in a way, but it didn't make it any less impactful. It was really quite beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, there, the, actually, and the actually movie, and
0: again, I don't want to spoil it, but when we see. His love interest, that gave me absolute goosebumps. Yeah, that was incredible. That moment alone was worth worth the price of admission. Dr.
1: Klemper, he's off at his cottage with his uh, DACA, I believe it's called. It's like this eastern block. A sort of shanty hut, and he goes to retreat there to collect his they kept thoughts. It like his country home. Yeah, it was like where's the country home? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's not some, some sprawling acreage, and then, but it was just it was. It seemed very it was like spartan. shanty, the most it was like, like the most uh,
0: desolate, barren, oh dusty looking area. But, but anyway. that was
1: really great. Like I thought, everything revolved around Madame Blanc and Klemper and whenever they were on screen, I was just so riveted. And whenever they weren't, it was just not as much so. But that mm. was. That was really compelling and well, was really very touching. Even I, if I, maybe they, it was, I think the New Yorker was really unkind. They said it was really shoehorned in and they complained about it. I thought it was kind of neat, although I thought they would have been better served to focus on one subplot and one facet of Berlin's history instead of delving into all of Germany's post-war guilt all at once.
0: The other thing too is because they were, they were dealing with, like, they were talking so many subplots. In fact, one of the one of the uh, articles I read that attempted to make Heather Hills* this movie said, "This is a film that has doors within doors, behind doors and other doors." And that, to me, was just the the writer's way of saying, "I don't get it either." You know? Sure. Well, you can read so much into this. You can say, "Okay,
1: Olga, the woman who's..." she had a seizure, she's bubbling at the mouth, and oh, I like, right, "Are they right. exercising the demons of of uh, red communist Russia because yeah, Berlin mean, was treated thing. by Hitler as being this red you know outpost?" What? Like, is that
0: or are we just the, no? See, the more the more we talk about this, the more I'm starting to think that this whole um, huehorning now, and I'm not talking about the subplot with um, Kemper, uh, Kempler, sorry, and yeah. his love interest, the huehorning in of all this political shit that's going on at the time and the political history of East and West Germany is a debit. It's taking us out of the film because we're trying to decipher what, what the heck was he trying to do with this stuff? What is he trying to say? And meanwhile, this is a film about a coven of witches. And I think in many ways it might have detracted from the actual story of the witches because frankly, I don't even know what the witches' endgame is in this Suspiria. I knew what it was in the original Suspiria but what is it in this one?
1: yeah and if it's some supposed, supposed to be some uh, metaphor or analog for for what like a, some secret society where they stab one in, in another in
0: the back or in the neck is the case maybe? Well, it was almost like and, and, and this is coming right now I mean this this honestly is nothing that I thought of earlier but like we're talking about Germany right and we're talking about let's say World War Two, and we're talking about the Holocaust and we talked about Adolf Hitler wanting to create a nation of the ubermensch, right mm. the perfect Aryan of which he looked nothing like, yeah, yeah. right, six foot tall, blonde blue eyed in other words, he want. and yeah, I mean he also wanted to create you money know, with the ubermensch, I mean the uber female, so to speak, would have been the same Aryan, blonde, etc now, looking at this movie. It seemed to me that with, this, with the Covenant of Witches, it was very much about deconstruction and reconstruction. And it's almost like the end game was to create the perfect matriarchy. Almost in the sense of what, how Adolf Hitler wanted to create the perfect populace of Germany. Mm. That, here they are trying, but what they're doing is they're, again spoiler alert, they're cherry picking who is going to continue on in this covenant.
1: Right. Yeah, picking the best uh, phenotype and genotype. Mm-hmm. I guess,
0: who would be? Yeah, and then Susie and you infer that the um, end game is to take over the world, or at least to make their, if not overtly, um, implicitly. So yeah, they're they're creating the perfect matriarchy, of witches. Who they knows?
1: Are, I've, I'm not, I have no idea. I didn't know what to make of this internecine uh, debates they had. Where they had there's a quite a affecting but weird vote where they're trying to pick the next one and they're going through their kitchen and they have this dinner, an elaborate dinner and they're yelling out who they feel I guess should head the coven is that what it was? And they're shouting like Marcos, yeah. Marcos mm-hmm. and they're having like this weird plebiscite for the coven and it's like what What's? I don't understand <laughs> to, what what to, for? To what end? Right. That's the whole thing. Because like, they're trying to presumably, like vampires, replenish their stock mm-hmm. by uh, attaching their energy to this new recruit who was preordained.
0: Exactly. Well, I, I have yeah. no idea. There, there is preordained, but then I, at the same time, there's also um, a non-natural selection, but unnatural selection because then what they're doing is they're separating the wheat from the chaff, and they're creating the the perfect, like as I said before, matriarchy of witches. And that whole uh, analogy that I just made with Adolf Hitler, I just pulled it out of my ass. I Well, could that's, it's funny you say that because in the original mm-hmm. uh,
1: Suspiria, they didn't hammer you over the head with Reich. They actually, there was the, the scene of Dan, Daniel, the blind man, with his German shepherd, mm. which obviously German shepherd has all these connotations what of the army dog. It, yep. And he's wandering around Königsplatz in Munich, which was famous for Munich, via the Beer Hall Putsch, and where where Hitler gave this rousing speech so you have this stark neoclassical architecture Mm -hmm. where you have this barren like square of really imposing buildings almost like um, uh, probably the uh, Beijing right now like in in you know, or in Red Square or something, where this huge, imposing totalitarian structure, and then you have this blind guy walking through there, which is a really neat conceit, where it's like a blind guy walking through history blindly, not seeing what's coming up, and, and that's an allusion to Nazism, but not.
0: By his he's attacked German by his German shepherd. Yes,
1: and that was a really effective scene, mm-hmm. and not something where it's so uh, text uh, versus subtext. It was mm-hmm. really, and that wasn't even. That was just one a little tiny nod to Germany's past. I feel like every movie is set in Germany, (laughs) in a way, has to address the the, uh, World
0: War II guilt. I feel bad for Germany. Uh, Honestly, because of that. Because I love Germany. Germany is, I would say, my third home. My second home is uh, New York City. (laughs) Um, Every time I go there, I feel like I'm at home. And frankly, I've never said this to you before, I'm actually mulling a permanent move to Berlin. Really? Yeah. Interesting. It's not going to happen this year. No. <laughs> Probably not next year. So uh, don't worry. There'll still be episodes uh, yeah. of the podcast. <laughs> Interesting. But yeah. when I, I was only there for five days. And I, I, for the second I, I left my hotel, I was like, this is where I belong.
1: It's just so funny. That, just, that city just carries with it so much baggage in a way that's, but that's almost I, like, but that's like if, I mean, if you have a romantic that, like, comedy. You said it in Paris uh, because uh-huh. Paris is romance. Yeah. Paris is the city of lights. It's yeah. always someone who trips over an Ottoman and then they sing. And Meanwhile, they Paris meet. is one of the most overrated cities in Europe. But <laughs> no,
0: I mean, that's a, That's what I was trying to say earlier, but how I feel bad for Germany, because Germany is multicultural yeah. Berlin and yeah. Frankfurt and whatever. Yes, there are still problems, etc. That's happening throughout Europe. But the reality is Germany Germany has a tone beyond belief any time. For example, 9-11, the first, I guess, I don't know. Overtures. Overtures, exactly. It was from Germany. Yeah, exactly. We stand with you, America. Germany... Yeah, that was really positive. Exactly. Germany is... But because of the atrocities that happened in the past, Germany will... I don't think will ever shake off those shackles. So, yeah. They have to keep being subjected to these movies that keep reminding them of a past that they don't necessarily want to forget... But at the same time, they don't want to keep acknowledging over and over and over again. One thing that's amazing about Germany is when you go there, you see monuments. This is where a synagogue once stood. This is where, you know, the, the students uh, burn all the subversive books, etc. So they're, they're paying homage to the past by putting monuments there, honoring it, and trying to move forward. But cinema won't let them move forward.
1: But it, it shouldn't be that big a deal to try and reference to... Uh, two historical incidents, one, one with which none of us is familiar, which is the hijacking that left tons of jet and subsequent murder of the pilot, and, and also this, uh, the heavy baggage of, uh, of the Third Reich. But given that it's a divided city, maybe they should have just focused on uh, east and west and the divide there and the falling of the wall and, have, and how the two different sides of Berlin uh, it had to coexist hmm. and that would have been a maybe more interesting issue to explore. you don't have to ground it in nineteen seventy seven just because Argento shot there like it has it seems irrelevant in a but, way you know I, also find
0: it, I find it kind of telling that we are now almost forty minutes into this podcast and we're talking about Germany and politics and allegory and we're not talking about the horror we're not talking about the witches and this is a horror film and so mm-hmm. I think the shoehorning of all that sort of stuff, as, who was it, the New York Times has said? Oh, the New Yorker
1: said. They, they yeah. shoehorned in the Holocaust bit and it had no real uh, resonance.
0: It seemed very tacked on. But what it, I th- yeah, and I guess be- what that might have done is detracted from some very effective horror because there are some scenes in this film that are extremely effective. Thou shalt
1: as- not suffer a witch to live, uh, Exodus. Uh-huh. And I'm quoting the Bible here about witches. So, like, the witch part, that was, I mean... I thought that was really great how they were conspiring, and you could see them in the mac. It was almost, uh, it was almost like West Wing style politicking, 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 and uh, how they're all yeah. Again, I, think, I think it's
0: pronounced politoking. I'm
1: sorry. Poly- yeah. Okay. <laughs> now, and they, I love the backing background machinations, and I love the the uh, oh I don't want to spoil it, but uh, the one character's demise. I loved how the Madame Blanc was almost like a. Uh, Geez, I don't want... She was almost like a kingmaker in a certain respect. Like, she had a, a real power to determine where the coven was heading. And she had certain reservations about... And I'm being a, uh, intentionally oblique mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. this. But I loved her character that she wasn't, like... I don't know, that she... She maintained like a distance and she was not willing to go along with the group to a certain extent. And let's just put it, leave it that way. But I thought it was interesting how much of the witches were involved and the ambition to take Susie Banyan in a completely different direction. Really amazing, even if I didn't find, uh, I, I thought that was a little bit telegraphed too much, but you can't fault, uh, a film for having too much ambition. I was going to make a sports analogy earlier. The Halloween reboot is a is a in baseball like a bunt to advance the runner mm-hmm. and this is a swing for the fences. So what would you rather do? Go for broke and do something completely new or just do something safe and statistically sound, which is advancing the runner with a bunt. Mm-hmm. So that that was what well, and Halloween
0: was all things to all people, and mm-hmm. this is incredibly polarizing. It's often—I mean, if you're going to take that sports analogy further, I mean, it's often strategic. Whether you're going to bunt, let's say you have bases loaded, yep. right? Just get that last runner in, or go for a grand slam, a home run. So when you take that swing, you're either going to miss or you're going to connect, and yeah, hopefully you're... hit the home run. So, mm-hmm. is this a swing or a miss, or is this a swing and up? Uh, all well, I, I just want to
1: give give us some credit because we always like ambition, and even if it falls flat in some respects, I like the fact that it was a different beast. Which is why I stopped rewatching Suspiria because I didn't want to compare mm-hmm. and contrast, because different uh, color palette, different narrative, different structure, set in a somewhere rather than an elsewhere. Mm-hmm. It had so much. There was so yeah. much different that it's. It, it almost wills you to not discuss the original in the way that Halloween
0: did the exact opposite. Well, and that's the whole thing, too. And, I, again, I, I, I have to very, very... I uh, have to talk around it, but... Callbacks. Right? Halloween. Many. Many. And it was like... You're blushing over the head. It was almost like Bombardment in The Simpsons. I mean, that ball was coming at you again and again and again and again. This one did it in a way that was elegant. Yeah. So I'm going to give it credit for that. Um... I think it was a very valiant swing. It wasn't a home run, maybe a double. Mm-hmm. I don't know. See, it's, I, and you say you give us credit. Yes, I mean, we do tolerate ambiguity. We do tolerate uh, a film that isn't wrapped up with a nice bow at the end. And we like to discuss these things. The only thing that I feel that we're we sort of are doing a disservice is that we have not come to any sort of conclusive agreement as to what this film was ultimately trying to say. Now, I think a lot of that's part and parcel of the fact that we're being very conscious of not spoiling things. I almost think first of all this is a film just by the virtue of its ambition begs for a rewatch and i will be rewatching i'll probably end up buying this film i rewatching it a number of times i think it's i think i'd like to revisit it say a year from now when everyone has seen it and we don't have to worry about spoiling there's a lot of things that we can talk about but for the time being i think we should maybe skew what did we learn yeah. i mean this whole podcast is basically what did we learn which is we don't quite get it but we appreciate it so star running chris
1: Ooh, because I have a lot more that I've learned. But Okay, uh, no, 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 gonna, go ahead. Don't let uh, me stop you. I'm, I'm going to give it a three and a quarter. Uh, the debits I've described earlier, I liked the original self-contained world. And I was thinking about, like, the character K in Kafka's The Castle. And he's this contractor, although it wouldn't be that... Uh, he's a carpenter, but today you'd call him a contractor who's... Uh,
0: so you're saying if, the, if Jesus walked the earth there, he'd be a contractor? He'd be a contractor, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, How to catch a contractor. I mean, <laughs> Jesus Christ, imagine
1: that. The, the parallels between the first scene where Susie Banyan is being driven to the school uh, and Kafka's the castle are are pretty, pretty close because he's uh, summoned to the castle to do a job. And every time he uh, hails a... Uh, uh, a, a, co- a coach, a, a coach. coach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then uh, there's something that interrupts his journey to right. get there that makes, and it's a dreamlike state where either he falls asleep or the, the coach driver gets lost. There's a circularity to it. He doesn't know where he's going. Uh, Susie Banyan is in this cab, and there's this bizarre scene where the cab driver is talking to her. And her German is limited. She tries to ask for an address, and they don't understand. And there's this rain, and it's this nightmarish dreamscape, and you don't know what's going on. It doesn't. It's not real. Like he's driving, but it's not realism that you could see. He's on the autobahn or something. He's sort of driving around, and you don't know. You're not convinced this is real. Mm. And the self-contained her medical world that Argento creates is so incredible and. The skylight scene of the girl's demise is something that will just blow your mind. And I I should—we guess we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the whole film—the demise in this film, which is a body horror death, Mm -hmm. which is uh, something that I think David Cronenberg would appreciate. There's a—I didn't understand it. I didn't see the connection. It was—it was twisted, no pun intended. It was Mm -hmm. really. Mm There's something that I'm gonna, that's gonna stick with me for the
0: rest of my days, and okay. in a way that n- nothing in Halloween did. I would say that. I, I would say the last twenty minutes of this film. This is a, a lengthy movie, two and a half hours. The last twenty minutes have stuck with me. Yeah,
1: yeah, it was a subterranean terror, the likes of which we hadn't seen since *Baskin*. I was gonna say they, yeah, they, they, they had, the had a *Baskin* vibe. Yeah, that was really mm-hmm. phenomenal. So they, there's certain ta- the takeaway message is that there's lots of Pluses in the ledger sheet yeah. and considerable minuses, but the
0: you know former outweigh the latter. Yeah, and that's the whole thing. I mean, when I heard that they were going to remake Suspiria, I was prepared to hate it in every aspect of the film. And the fact that I'm giving this one three stars is is shows you that I actually respect what was what the filmmakers were trying to achieve. I respect the fact that they. P- Susperia, use some familiar brushstrokes. Went in a completely different direction. I respect the fact that there was a lot of ambition, um, but as uh, you two said, ambition sometimes bites the nails of success. <laughs> it's no secret. <laughs> wow, what a quote! <laughs> that song I think came on my Spotify play uh, today on shuffle. So oh. yes, the ambition sort of bit the nails of this success, and therefore I'm giving it three stars, which. <laughs> is a decline of what I was going to give it upon, upon walking out. I actually texted you and said, it's really, really good. I was all set to give it four stars. And then I started thinking about it, analyzing it, trying to connect the dots. And I thought to myself, you know what? This could very well be a case of the emperor not really wearing any clothes. So...
1: <sighs> it's, and, it's
0: so tough because
1: the, the, uh, the people who are most vociferous in their opposition are saying it's pretentious. Which is, like, it's an incredibly nebulous word to define. I'm not sure, like, how to define that.
0: Pretense and horror is, I mean, people, it makes me think that if The Shining came out today, if Rosemary's Baby came out today, even if The Exorcist might have come out today, people would have called it pretentious. It seems like anything that's not a slasher is defined as pretentious. Things that are cerebral, like, let's say, hereditary, or um, The Witch, or what have you, they well, fall to Were the same tra- slings
1: and arrows slung at, at, at those films for being pretentious? I'm not sure to the same extent. Like The Witch, definitely not the case. Uh, although it had these more broad brushstroke themes. But there's something about this one, that that word is coming to the fore. And I have no idea it's because, why. Maybe it's because it's, no, it's, no, it's an because, art film. Be- beca- well, but it's the original was an art
0: film. Yeah, No, it's because, it's because of the political allegory. And it's because of the fact, I think most people are picking up on the fact that we're, they're they're trying to make make connections, but the connections just aren't there. And so, some of when when people are in unable to tie things up in any ribbon, they dismiss it summarily by saying it's pretentious. So mm. yeah, that's why I think people are calling it pretentious. And frankly, the more when I watch it again, I may start to realize that yeah, there really is no connection whatsoever. <laughs> and
1: well, we'll see because uh, we're pret- tilting the balance here because I gave the most tepid. Three star review to Halloween, and I said I have to see it again, but not for the reasons you cited. I said probably I don't think I'm ever
0: gonna see the new Halloween ever again.
1: I, I, I'm inclined to agree, and I think my rationale for saying that was probably to convince myself I wasn't already inherently correct in my suspicions that this thing was a piece of shite. Mm-hmm. So, but I'm not sure. I think I have to work myself through the. I, th- I think I I'm, I have some uh, like Damien Hirsch type vibes surrounding like art with a capital A surrounding this movie where that that artist hung a shark in formaldehyde and you're supposed to say that's brilliant because why it's a shark hanging in formaldehyde like I don't that's get not the,
0: that's not the pissed Jesus artist is it? no
1: no That I forget his name but yeah. Damien Hur- Hurst Hurst yeah, it's like, I'll take a shark, yeah. like suspend it, and I don't understand. And I'm supposed to feel bad for not understanding, like I don't understand his conception of the stupid shark, really because it is a stupid shark, and there's no subtext. It's a He's a shitty artist. So I, I get some of these vibes here, and I'm going to cite a passage where uh, Madame Blanc says, Dance cannot be beautiful or cheerful. And I thought that was like sprockets, like Michael Myers. It mm-hmm. was like a... Co- like. There's no art form that cannot not be beautiful. It's beautiful, inherently beautiful. Dance. So if it, her even
0: m- even when art is at its most sublime, and when I and when I say sublime, I mean the truest definition of sublime, in the sense that it actually fills you with some sort of beautiful revulsion, right? It's beautiful. Hmm. Art is always beautiful, even if it's confrontational, even if it's ugly, even if it's meant to. Um, conf- uh, make you sort of contemplate some of your deepest, darkest phobias, anxieties, what have you. Art, well, by its very nature, is beautiful. The th- problem is that art the beauty is in the b- eye of the beholder. What well, could so, just mean person- like, our lack
1: of affinity for interpretive dance. Like, maybe what she's know- saying is
0: that they weren't putting on Swan Lake, and that's the end of that. <laughs> right, fine. <laughs> Fair enough.
1: Uh, yeah, I didn't know what to make of that. Uh, so... Th- Three and a quarter for me because there's no way I'm not going to not see this again because I have to – it's obviously – no, I said earlier before we hit record that every criticism and every lauding of this film is almost correct. Like it's almost impossible to cherry pick which one – you're going to take, because everything I've read that said it's overlong and somewhat pretentious, I agree with. Also, they've said that it's incredibly beautiful and gut-punch, cra- audacious, and gut punch, audacious mm-hmm. body horror. This is also true. So I don't know to what extent either is true. And that's that's probably why like we have this uh, artificial five-star review system here. Where we can go right down the middle and give like a, a B-minus three-star, but I'm really not sure. Like I'm left somewhat befuddled and but not full of regret and full of anticipation and full of uh, to, to ebuviation yeah. uh, to, to revisit it mm-hmm. and kudos to them because this was met with a lot of uh, yeah, trepidation and uh, not most notably skepticism. by us and skepticism and, 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 and kudos for Luca Guadugno who um, compares his own cinema to an arrow fired through time. Which I thought was really neat. And I, again, that also I don't understand. But, <laughs> but maybe to his credit, I thought, okay, does that mean the trajectory will inevitably land to the point where no one cares about this arrow? Or does it mean that... <laughs> I, I don't know, but I thought for a guy, he said he had a vision of, since he was 12, to redo this movie. He loves the source material. There's n- what was no that line
0: d- in Magnolia? I love it's one of my all-time favorite films where somebody's casting somebody for you know and he says you speak in riddles and enigmas and rub a dub dub or something like okay. that. <laughs> that sort of sounds like that to me. You know, <laughs> very yeah. well be yeah. like the the jury's still out,
1: but mm-hmm. I'm inclined to uh, be biased enough that I would be selected out of this court proceedings because yes. i like it
0: well and i like it too um however if we're going to continue that analogy I, don't, I i'm not convinced i'm going to say not guilty right now the, mm-hmm. the the jury is still hung yeah we are there we are sort of leaning more towards that <laughs> not guilty verdict or guilty depending on yeah. the context of the case but we're not quite there just yet so having said that we need to see this film again and do we recommend it wholeheartedly
1: you ha- yeah you have to see it for yourself mm-hmm. and share your suggestions with us to see
0: where we've gone. our interpretations, the rails. what have you yeah. Yeah. yep uh, really awful
1: movies that. at gmail.com uh, follow us on Twitter awful underscore movies and we'll talk to you soon.
0: take care.